I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, John chapter 3. I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 21. Only a few verses from John 3 that will constitute my sermon text for this evening, and that will be verses 14 and 15. Uh, Meanwhile, we'll be looking at the greater context of that as well. So we now turn to God's Word, and then in a few moments, we're going to look at the Forms and Prayers book at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 15. You may recall many, many weeks ago during the Advent series, we looked at um, those articles of the Christian faith and the Apostles' Creed regarding the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth, and then I took a pause, and now we're picking it back up at Article 15 as it relates to the death of Christ and the manner in which Christ had to die. So we first turn our attention to John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Let us now hear God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it, is, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, answered him Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 216. Two hundred sixteen. I'm going to ask the question in congregation, please respond with the answer. Just take note that question 39 on the bottom does continue on to the next page on top there. Congregation, what do you understand by the word suffered? 
that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation, and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge, and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, by this death I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Teach us, O Lord, your word. Teach us, O Lord, what it means that Jesus Christ lifted, was lifted up for the sake of his sheep and to the glory and exaltation of your name. Teach us, O Lord, minister to our hearts, and may we receive your word with a believing heart, and may we, we see this word with hands and feet that desire to do your will in our lives. Amen. Congregation of Christ, about four and a half years ago, when I was invited to preach here at Emmanuel, the first sermon I preached here was on Numbers 21. I don't know, some of you may have been here for that sermon, so there may be a little bit of familiarity of where I might be going with this. It's a different sermon, it's a different sermon, but there are similarities between John chapter 3 and Numbers 21, particularly verse 14 of John 3. This evening's sermon is taken from John's Gospel. The title is, The Son of Man Must Be Lifted Up. Four and a half years ago, the sermon on Numbers 21 was look up and live. Look up and live. Look up to the bronze serpent and live and be saved. Look up to the Son of Man and be saved and live. This is a fascinating text of Scripture. It's a very well-known text of Scripture. John chapter 3 is very well-known. Oftentimes, John 3.16 is taken in isolation, but there's a greater context to it. And we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 this evening and see why the Son of Man must be lifted up. What's the significance of this statement that Jesus makes? And how does it fit into the greater context of John 3, particularly John 3.16? How is it related? How is it related to the greater context of divine scripture Jesus says and as Moses look with me in your Bible and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up he speaks of the son of man who descended from heaven he is the son of man who came from heaven 
And he is the same son of man who must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent. Why would he draw our attention back to an Old Testament narrative regarding the bronze serpent? I want to look first as we look at these verses at the meaning of the bronze serpent. The meaning of the bronze serpent. Why does Jesus draw a similitude or a likeness between Moses and the Son of Man? Moses lifting up the bronze serpent and the Son of Man who must be lifted up. Why the comparison? Well, we need to go back to Exodus, or Numbers rather, Numbers chapter 20, especially when the Israelites rebelled against God. They were at the border of Edom and were met by Edom's army. They weren't allowed access into the land to go through, to, to have a straight shot to where they needed to go. Instead, they had to trek around the land of Edom. You may remember that the people of Edom were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. And at verse, uh, chapter 21 of Numbers, verses 1 to 4, the Israelites were confronted by King Arad, the Canaanite, and his army. And with the Lord's help, Israel defeated them. And then we come to verse 4 of Numbers chapter 21, and we hear this. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. The people became discouraged, impatient, and consequently, they grumbled against Moses and God. They can taste and see and smell the goodness of the land of promise, and yet detour. Not yet. Not yet. You have to continue eating the bread coming from heaven, the manna. They were growing impatient as they were enduring the trials of the wilderness that difficult place to be in life, the wilderness, a place of trial and tribulation, the wilderness. And they grew impatient and grumbled against God and Moses. And in chapter 21, verse 5, the text says, they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. Very serious accusations against the God who just delivered them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians and fed them in the wilderness, and clothed them, and gave them everything they needed, they grumbled against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food, they say. Think God was pleased with that? Instead of giving praise and thanks to God for his goodness and mercy towards them, they grumble. They grumble. Oh, I don't have to tell you that we're not much different. God pours grace upon grace in our lives, mercy upon mercy. And we're grumblers. We're not a people of thanks when we ought to be. You see, it's in the wilderness that really shows us are we really a thankful people. It's in the trial of life when you're forced to put feet to your faith, am I going to be thankful to God in the midst of this trial? 
It's easier to say the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hmm. Bless the name of the Lord when he gives, but when he takes away, hmm, maybe not. Instead of giving praise and thanks to God for miraculously preserving them in the wilderness and protecting them from the elements and the wild beasts of the desert, they grew impatient and complained. And consequently, the Lord poured out his judgment upon Israel, sending fiery snakes, deadly serpents in the wilderness to bite the Israelites, and many thousands died. The people cry out to Moses, Moses, Speak to the Lord. Speak to the Lord that he would take away these serpents. Take away this curse, this judgment. Moses, being the mediator of God's people, goes before God and pleads with God. Pleads with God. The people of Israel pray, pray that God will remove the curse from us. They acknowledge their sin. They believe God could save them. Moses, go to God. Go to God. So Moses goes to the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, listen carefully. Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. He says this, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Look up and live. That's the remedy God gives his people. The Lord commands Moses to make an image of a snake and lift it up publicly for the people to see. And those who are bitten have two options. Two options. You can either die in your snake with a snake bite, or you can look up in faith at the bronze serpent and trust God's word that if you look up, you will live. There's no straddling the fence here. There's no straddling the fence. There is, there is no third option. There's two options. Look down and die or look up and live. What's the meaning of this bronze serpent? God is not commanding Moses to make a snake in order to worship it. There's no inherent power in this bronze snake that's lifted up to bring healing upon the people. So what's God doing here then? In order to remove the curse, that is the venomous snake, plague, judgment, Moses was commanded to make the likeness of the curse and put it on a pole and lift it up. Are you following me? In order to have the curse removed, there must be a curse that is lifted up on a pole so that all look upon the curse and they will be healed. Well, that's a strange remedy. That's a strange remedy. God commands the making of an image in the likeness of the very serpent that is killing the people. An image of a very 
thing that resembles a sign of curse. This is God's remedy. This is God's grace to heal a poisoned and rebellious people. Listen to what one commentator says. In this plague, something was truly different. There was a symbol of hope that was disgusting in nature. But had healing properties that were most surprising. We find an amazing sense of God's presence in the most unlikely of places. The symbol of evil, a snake. By the initiative of God, the curse becomes the basis of salvation. Now, when I preached here four and a half years ago, I asked y'all, y'all, if you remember the Greek mythology, the rod of Asclepius, just out of curiosity, how many remember that, by the way? The rod of Asclepius. You remember what that was? Boys and girls, you remember what that was? You've seen it before. You've seen it on ambulances. You've seen it on a, well, adults have seen it on a Blue Cross Blue Shield card. And I even brought a picture of it tonight, like I did last time, to remind you all what it is. The rod of Asclepius. Boys and girls, you've seen this. It became a symbol of healing. That's why in the medical world, this is on ambulances, this is on in hospitals, this is everywhere related to places of healing. Lift up the bronze snake on a pole. Tell the people to look on it. They have to believe and they will be saved, healed. But Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Secondly, we have the fulfillment of the Old Testament type. The bronze serpent was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ to come who must be lifted up. In your Bible, underline must. He must be lifted up. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament type. Because of the fall of man, every human being is a lawbreaker. We have been bitten and stung by the venom of sin, death, and hell. And as a result of sin, as a result of sin, there is spiritual death. And there is physical death. Every single one of us deserves it. Every single one of us deserves eternal death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to be healed from this curse, this curse of the law and the sting of death, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's no other way. No other way. 
No other creature or thing may be lifted up because no mere creature can bear the curse of Almighty God for sin. He is the perfect man and true God. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of the curse. Yet he was without sin. He was lifted up publicly on the cross and able to bear the curse of God in his body and soul. Because he came in our likeness in nature. So that Jesus teaches us that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He must be lifted up. He draw, Jesus draws our attention that the lifting up of the bronze serpent is a type of the lifting up of himself who would be a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The Son came to bear the curse by becoming a curse for us. Christian, Christian, can you understand now why Paul would say that he prays that we would understand the depth and breadth of Christ's love for us? And why this truth, this glorious truth, ought to inspire in us, create in us, a holy zeal for Jesus, a holy love for Jesus, a desire to serve Jesus and follow Jesus, to give Him our all and not part of us, but our whole hearts. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Listen to what he says now. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not in, according to the, in, a, in accordance to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The symbol of the cross became a symbol of healing and life. Because that is where Jesus bore the curse, your curse, Christian, your curse. The curse that belongs on your head was placed on the Son. This gospel should be preached. It should be believed and loved and adored and cherished. Because God used something ugly, a cruel form of punishment to save his people. And who received the brunt of it, the shame of it, 
the pain of it in body and soul, your king and your Lord. Your king and your Lord. Question 39 asked, is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way, do you think? You think? Yes. By this death, I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me, since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. Cursed is every man who is hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. Do not be ashamed of this gospel, Christian. Congregation, do not be ashamed to trust in the Christ who gave his life upon the tree, bearing its shame and penalty and guilt and curse. Do not be ashamed. Calvin wrote this. If then we desire to obtain salvation, let us not be ashamed to seek it from the curse of Christ, which was typified in the image of the serpent. The fulfillment of the Old Testament type, Jesus says, is the Son of Man who must be lifted up. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament type. The world mocks the cross of Jesus. They scorn the love of God in Christ. They blaspheme the name of the only Son of God and Son of Man. They ridicule the man who hung on a tree for our sins. They wag their heads. They spit on him. They flogged him. They beat him. They hated him. And there is a hatred for him even today. A deep hatred for the Christ, the Son of the living God. But we do not wag our heads at him. We look up to him. And we see the one who was crucified, dead, and buried and who was raised from the dead on the third day. When I survey the wondrous cross, the wondrous cross, wow, what a title for a song, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through his blood. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love for me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, O sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Oh, all the glorious hymns that we can sing that point to this very truth that Jesus bore the curse. He came in the likeness of sinful men so that in the likeness of man he would bear the curse that belongs to sinful men by becoming a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might know the righteousness of God. 
Are you worthy of this? Are you worthy of this? Or are you humbled by it? I hope this gospel humbles you. Perhaps tonight we shall fall on our face before we go to bed and praise him and thank him. Perhaps some of us need to be humbled by this tonight. Some of us may be trusting in our own merits, in your own merit or strength or power, thinking you're all not that bad. It's either all of Christ or none of him. You either humble yourself before him in faith, repenting of your sin, turning to him, looking up and living. Because thirdly, Jesus, the Son of Man who must be lifted up, we find here the remedy of the cross. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The cross of Christ is the remedy for hopeless and helpless sinners on their way to hell. Because the Son of Man was lifted up, hell is canceled and heaven is gained. Hell is removed and heaven is earned and purchased by the only Son of God and Son of Man. For the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is the ground of our very salvation. That's where we put all of our hope and trust in. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I cling to no other for hope and salvation. And by the instrument of faith, we take hold of the Christ. Whoever looked upon the bronze serpent, the curse lived. Whoever looks upon the Son of Man in faith, believes that he indeed bore the curse for us. And inherited us an eternal salvation, eternal life. And it's a life that begins at conversion. Did you know that, Christian? Did you know that eternal life began when you were born again? You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You are experiencing the kingdom of God upon you because the Spirit has been poured upon your hearts. You have been caused to be born again to a living hope and it's eternal life that you experience now ever so dimly but oh so beautifully and forever when he shall come again or he should take us home. Whoever does not believe in the Son of Man will not have life, will not have eternal blessing and shalom, peace with God. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 16. This is why Jesus goes into the following verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. As the people were saved by the lifting up of the bronze serpent, so will the people of God be saved through the lifting up of the Son of Man. Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but to be lifted up so that all may see and be saved. Praise be to God. 
Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Do you now see the comparison that Jesus brings to us in this word? That the Old Testament type is now fulfilled in Jesus and that the remedy for being stung and bitten by sin and the curse, the only remedy is the cross of Jesus. A few points in closing. First of all, Christ was lifted up by his own initiative. He has the right to lift it up, to take his life, and to lift it back up. To give his life and to take it back. Christ has the authority, the power to do this. He took the initiative willingly, sacrificially to lay down his life to be a curse for you. And that ought to evoke in our hearts a spirit of worship and gratitude. Secondly, the lifting up of the Christ assures sinners of God's forgiveness and love. The lifting up of the Christ assures us sinners of God's love and forgiveness. For he has cleansed the guilty conscience by his precious blood. And so when he bore the curse, when he bore the curse, his blood was shed so that the blood would cleanse this, this evil, sinful conscience and free us from that bondage and curse and give us new life and hope. Thirdly, the lifting up of the Christ. Christ, The lifting up of the Christ will draw God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. Turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 32. I'll begin at verse 31. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 31 and verse 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The cross and the application of the cross by the Spirit of God is drawing many, even to this day, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to look up and live. To look up and live. The cross of Jesus still and always will have power. Do you believe that? Oh, the power of the cross, the remedy of the cross. I need only tell you, look in the mirror of your own soul. Has the power of the cross brought about transformation and hope in your heart and life? I dare to say it has. That's the work of Jesus, the work of the Spirit. Fulfilling this verse, six, uh, chapter 12, verse, th verse 32. When I 
am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. We are the people of God who have been drawn to him, the son of man who was lifted up. And he's no longer there, for he has been raised. Raised on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come again not to take care of sin, for that was taken care of once for all. He will come again to bring judgment. And if you are not in Christ, if you do not belong to him by faith, I exhort you, I call you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Be saved. And you will not know his judgment and condemnation. Rather, you will know life and life eternal. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so humbled by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that the perfect Son of God and Son of Man would humble himself, taking on the likeness of human flesh, human nature, yet without sin, and to lay down his life, bearing the curse and judgment of Almighty God, so that in him, through faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God, for he bore in his body our sins, our sins being imputed upon the Son, placed upon the Son, transferred upon the Son. And by grace, through faith, we receive the righteousness of Christ, his perfect life, so that you, Father, no longer see us as sinners, but as saints, holy ones of God, the church of Jesus Christ, a people called out of darkness and into the wonderful light and kingdom of Jesus. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Forgive us of our ingratitude. Forgive us of our apathy. Renew in us the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.